Good Shabbos. I'm Joy Sosiski. I'm the interim CEO and the chief philanthropy officer at the Jewish Community Federation and Endowment Fund. And today actually is my six-year anniversary, not just of my job, but moving with my family to San Francisco. And it is an honor to be here, and I can't think of a better place uh, to be than here. And I appreciate the invitation to come and speak about my trip to the Polish-Ukrainian border. But first, I'm going to go back in time a little bit. On December 6, 1987, when I was a little girl, my parents took me to Washington, D.C. on Freedom Sunday. It was the eve of a meeting between President Ronald Reagan and Soviet Premier Mikhail Gorbachev. It remains one of the largest Jewish gatherings in U.S. history. Was anybody else there from here? The goal of the march was to pressure the Soviet Union to release so-called refuseniks, Jews who were prevented from emigrating to the Israel or the United States. Everyone held signs that said, let my people go. The next year, when I turned 12, I had my bat mitzvah with Polina Yakolev, my refusenik twin. And 35 years later, and three weeks ago, I found myself in Medica, Poland, at the border with Ukraine, and I couldn't stop thinking about Freedom Sunday. In my role as interim CEO, I was invited to join a small delegation of Jewish Federation leaders from across North America, along with our board chair, Arthur Slepian. We were there with our Federation's overseas partner, the American Jewish Joint Distribution Committee, JDC. The Federation and JDC have been partners for over 100 years, providing critical welfare services to the world's most impoverished Jews, partnering in the renewal of Jewish life and there to rescue Jews in need. JDC is the manifestation of our Federation on the ground in more than 70 countries. Over the years, we have provided tens of millions of dollars to help them carry out our shared work in building global Jewish peoplehood. And it was this historic partnership that made it possible for the Bay Area Jewish community to respond immediately to the needs on the ground in Ukraine. We are there for the Ukrainian Jewish community today because we were there yesterday and we were there 30 years ago. This infrastructure is largely supported through funding from the Jewish Federation system, including ours here. It's one of the greatest achievements of the past century of Jewish communal life. You can't build a firehouse in the middle of a fire, and that's what I learned when I was in Poland. My trip was a particular kind of volunteer service. We were there to bear witness to the atrocities of war and to welcome refugees at the Polish-Ukrainian border with compassion and love, to accept their testimony with a promise to share it back with our communities, including with you here tonight. The trip started in Warsaw. I stayed at a hotel across the street from the central train station where I saw thousands of people who were pouring in by bus and train every hour. I had never seen anything like it before in my life. And most extraordinary, less than a half a mile away is the Warsaw Ghetto and the Umschlagplatz. This was the central collecting place where more than 250,000 Jews were sent on trains to certain death at Treblinka only 80 years before that. Today, you must suspend disbelief to accept that a train to Poland will save your life, including if you are a Jew. 
From Warsaw, we made our way to Lublin and then to the largest border crossing in Poland at Medica. And I want to share two stories with you tonight from Anna and Frederick in their own words. Anna, a young mother from the eastern part of Ukraine, told me about her herring escape with her two children. She said, for days, we just didn't believe it. One day we woke up and we read that the nuclear power plant nearby would be targeted. My husband told me, you have 15 minutes. Take what you need, just save our children, go, go, go. I took some documents and the clothes on me, my children and left. They boarded a train car meant for four people, squeezing in 18 others, including seven mothers and 11 children, not a single man. They stood up the entire ride, not sleeping or moving, for 19 hours. And when they finally arrived at the border, they waited in line again overnight with no end in sight. Anna's young son, who was only six years old, fainted. He hadn't eaten. He hadn't slept. When we met her, we met her at a hotel in Warsaw, where the Israeli embassy had set up a temporary consulate in the ballroom. She was waiting to make Aliyah with thousands of other people who were there. Frederick is a Nazi victim and a survivor. He's from Kharkov in the eastern part of the country, where he was a professor at the university for 50 years. He did not want to leave Ukraine, but his daughter insisted. And they joined an evacuation transport organized by the Jewish community. Days later, Frederick arrived in Poland, crying, wearing slippers as if he was going to go home at any minute. We met at the Chachme Yeshiva in Lublin. One of the, it was once the world's largest yeshiva, which had been converted into a hotel and was serving as a transit center for mostly Jewish refugees. Lublin, of course, is also home to Majanik, one of the largest concentration camps during World War II. Many survivors like Frederick are reliving a second trauma during this war. And he said to me, we could not have left without you. Thank you. On average, most people we spoke with had just 30 minutes to decide if they would make a run for it. I watched thousands of people stream in by foot, some who had been walking for miles or days with just a single suitcase, a purse, a plastic bag filled with the contents of their lives. Many of them came with pets. They had dogs and cats and birds. And for the most part, it was all women and children. Because if you're a man between the ages of 18 and 65, you can't leave unless you have three or more children. We, de we did see some men who were crossing into the border. They brought their families to the other side to safety. And we watched them turn around and walk right back into Ukraine to fight for their families. I saw families ripped apart before my very eyes. These refugees are all being well taken care of, but they're all in trouble. The psychological trauma is immense, and in the more obvious forms, we saw people who were crying, not eating, refusing to speak, while others were determined to share their stories. They want you to know the depths of evil in which they are living. Myself, I lived in Dnepropetrovsk, Ukraine, in the Jew and worked in the Jewish community for a long time many years ago as a JDC fellow. And my own family was from that same town. They left 101 years ago this year. And I bet I'm not the only one here tonight that has family roots in the countries of the former Soviet Union. If not for a left turn or a right turn, this decision or that decision, it could have been me. 
It could have been us, and I think about that all the time. More than 200,000 Jews live in Ukraine, and the vast majority of them are still there. We learned this week that only 10% have fled. Many more are internally displaced or refugees in their own country, including some 40,000 elderly and at-risk families. Many of the elderly are homebound, they're bedridden, and they rely on care through the Federation and JDC's Home Care Network, which continues to provide uninterrupted services with our support. People have asked me, how was your trip? And I never really know what to say because the truth is, it was horrible. I hope this is something that you never have to see in your lifetime, and I wish that I could unsee it. As a mother myself, my daughter, Emmy, is here with me tonight. The hardest thing to accept and watch was the complete devastation of an entire generation of young children. More than half of all of the refugees, more than 2.5 million of them, are children under the age of 18. And there on the ground, I understood the magnitude of this when I realized that no matter where I was, at the train station, at a tent camp, at the border, at a transit center, not a single baby or child was crying. And in fact, when I was at the border in Medica, as families crossed from Ukraine to Poland, I was surrounded by tens of thousands of people, and you could hear a pin drop. The depth of the trauma that we saw was stunning and overwhelming. This week's Torah portion is Tezria, a parsha about the work of the priests to care for the most vulnerable and sick. We may not have priests anymore, but we, I think you and I, share the same burdens of the priests who worked as healers. The scars of leprosy then are the burns of war today. Anna, her children, her husband, Frederick, and dozens of other refugee families that we met bear the scars and are in need of healing. We are called upon in this moment by God to bring wholeness to those in our community and beyond who suffer the most. It is our responsibility and privilege to help those who need healing on their road to recovery. Today is day 37 of the war, and the needs continue to be urgent, and they are as dire as they were on the first day. The Federation is in the business of saving lives. In fact, I think we were built for moments like this. Our fellow Jews need us. They need food, they need clothes, they need medical attention, transportation for evacuation, daycare for the children, and counseling services. There are still nine members of the Jewish community in Ukraine who are ages 105 or older, and they're unable to evacuate. The fact that we know this is a testament to our work on the ground because every Jew counts and every Jew matters. And of course, it's much more than that. Someone on the trip asked the chief rabbi of Poland, Michael Shudrick, who we were, we were traveling with, when someone crosses the border, how do you know that they're Jewish? And he said, you don't, you just help them. If I am not for myself, who will be for me? And if I'm only for myself, what am I? This is the time to respond. The San Francisco Jewish Federation has mobilized $3.6 million for the crisis in Ukraine, including more than $2.2 million for our emergency fund, which is going straight to JDC, 100% of it. Combined with the more than 150 other Jewish federations across North America, we've raised more than $40 million. And when you make a gift to the Federation, you leverage yours with 1,300 other families in the Bay Area as a sign of solidarity and strength 
from here to Ukraine. I've been touched by several gifts in particular. The first one came from a seven-year-old girl who donated her life savings of $9 and a $500,000 gift from the Alexandra and June Mason Foundation. Mr. Mason was a survivor who arrived in San Francisco via Shanghai after the war. He worked his way up as a longshoresman with a desire to give back, to always be on the right side of justice. And still, it's not enough. So if you have made a gift, thank you. If you haven't, I'm asking you to do that today. I hope that you'll meet the call to action today and when we ask again, because we'll need to ask again. The aftershocks of this war, whenever it ends, including for the Jewish community, will be with us for years to come. This is a marathon, not a sprint. And by the way, I haven't even mentioned the Russian Jewish community, which has twice as many Jews living there, twice as many vulnerable people. We're on the brink of a secondary crisis with some 200 families who've already fled to neighboring countries like Uzbekistan and Azerbaijan because they can get there with just a tourist visa. I'm gonna conclude with just some reflections about the end of my trip, which coincided with Purim. It's my favorite holiday, and I spent it at the airport waiting for my connecting flight back to San Francisco. Though it wasn't very joyous, it gave me plenty of time to think about the takeaways of what I had just witnessed, stories from the Megillah, the Freedom Sunday March from my childhood, and five lessons stood out to me. The Jewish community is stronger together, Sometimes we are called upon to take the lead in action, never lose hope, be prepared to make sacrifices, and most importantly, embrace your destiny. For me, my work at the Federation and as a Jewish communal professional for more than 20 years is more than a job, it's a calling. The Freedom March in 1987 set the tone for where I needed to be to fulfill my mission in life today as a healer. As Mordechai said to Esther, perhaps it is for precisely this moment that you have been placed in your position. I think each of us can ask ourselves this same question. Is this a moment that life has been preparing us for, an opportunity to make a difference? I invite you to join me in the pursuit to make our world whole again. The Federation was built for moments like this, and we need you. This is our moment, and so much is at stake because if not now, when? Thank you again for including me, and I, I just wanna say I loved that beautiful music that uh, you've been playing. It's been very special, especially having lived in Ukraine. It brought back just a lot of wonderful memories for me, so thank you.